The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ and His mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please visit ChristPres.org. The scripture reading today is from Galatians 5, verse 22 through 26. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not be consided, provoking one another, envying one another. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to Christ. Thank you, Harper. Great job. Good morning, everybody. Uh, This past week has been a big week. It's been a big week for Christ Prez. We uh, recently announced uh, the hiring for three major positions in our church. One is that uh, Rose Wynn Brooks has just uh, assumed leadership as director of Nashville Institute for Faith and Work. We're very excited for that. Uh, Micah Edmondson will be moving to Nashville with his family in June. Uh, even though he'll start working remotely in May uh, to serve as the next planter and pastor of a Christ Prez uh, congregation uh, in a location to be determined in the metropolitan Nashville area. And uh, lastly, we have hired Nathan Tasker, uh, who currently directs the Art House Nashville, uh, to uh, be our next director of music, liturgy, and the arts. Uh, Nate will begin full-time with us in August, and he'll be with us intermittently between now and then on Sundays as he wraps up some touring commitments. Uh, But we're very excited about all of those new additions. Uh, But it's also been a big week for Nashville. Uh, Obviously, we've already heard uh, about the tornadoes. There are actually many people from our Christ Pres congregation who've been out uh, in the city uh, providing uh, relief and presence and uh, and love for our neighbors who've been most affected. They're actually Christ Pres members out right now uh, as we speak uh, this morning, serving and helping to clean up uh, from the rubble and the wreckage. And then, of course, it's been a big week uh, and really a big month for the whole world uh, with the coronavirus, which I will touch on in a moment. But uh, I will not shake your hand if you don't shake mine. Uh, and, uh, and so what we're going to do now, though, is turn our attention to the Scripture that was just read uh, to us, and we're going to be talking about the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit tree is actually a major theme throughout the Bible. Uh, there's one, a significant one, in the Garden of Eden all the way back at the very beginning. Uh, there are two trees in the garden. One of them is called the Tree of Life, and that tree reappears again Uh, in the new heaven and the new earth. Uh, In the last chapter of the Bible, Revelation chapter 22, it says that the tree of life will be there right in the center of things, uh, and it will be there for the healing of all the nations. Uh, The first psalm uh, says that the person who delights in the law of the Lord uh, is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its seasons its leaf does not wither, and all that that person does prospers. Then the 23rd Psalm says that if you plant this same person who delights in the Lord, plant this same person even in the valley of the shadow of death, uh, like, like an oak tree 
when a tornado comes through town, it will be immovable. You can't uproot it. You can't uproot that person. What Paul's doing here is he's drawing a contrast in Galatians and especially in this chapter. And the contrast is between a withering life, that's a life that is oriented around the self and is driven by what Paul calls the works of the flesh. So there's the withering life on the one hand, and then there is the prospering life on the other hand. That's the life that is oriented around God, and out of that life comes what he describes here as the fruit of the Spirit. So, so one writer has posed the question, if you had to choose, if you had to choose between the two, would you rather be known for your remarkable accomplishments or for your remarkable character? Would you rather be known by your professional or personal successes or by the spiritual fruit that has flown out of your life? For Paul, this is an urgent question. And Paul assumes that the answer to that question is obvious for people who uh, are rooted in Jesus Christ. In his own words, he says in Galatians that he is experiencing something similar to the pains of childbirth so that Christ might be formed in God's people. So that Christ might be formed in God's people. So we're going to talk about how that works and how the fruit uh, is born out of the lives of God's people. And the three headings are going to be how a prospering faith works, why our prospering is ultimately inevitable, and then finally the key that unlocks our prospering. Uh, so let's start with how a prospering faith works. A prospering faith works a lot like the stock market. It's messy. There's an ebb. There's a flow. There's, there's a moving forward. There's a moving backward in any given time. There's a bull season and there's a bear season over and over and over again. Steps forward, steps backward. But in the long term, you're much bigger than you were at the beginning. There are three features of a prospering faith. It's seasonal, it's proportional, and it's very gradual. So, so first, seasonal. You think about how, how plants grow. Think about the grass uh, in the yard or think about the bushes. There are seasons, right, where, where or trees. There are seasons where, where flowers bloom and then there are seasons where the plant or the tree or the grass looks dead, but it's not. It's not dead at all. Uh, for several months now, my lawnmower, and if you have one, probably yours, has been on sabbatical. And the reason why my mower has been on sabbatical is that my grass hasn't been growing, and my grass hasn't been growing not because it's dead, because in just a couple of months, it's going to be growing so fast, I'm going to need to cut it twice a week. It's been dormant. It's been dormant. It's alive, but not growing, and then there'll be a season where it's alive and very visibly growing. We see this in the lives of of believers, right? We see David, for instance, King David, who on the one hand hits significant lows in the Bathsheba 
Uriah incident, adultery, murder, but even out of the the shame and the sorrow of that, uh, even those seasons are used by God to develop him ultimately into what the New Testament would call David the man after God's own heart. Uh, Or you've got Mary, the mother of Jesus, and James, the half-brother of Jesus, right? Uh, During a certain season of Jesus' ministry, both of them are actually embarrassed by the things that Jesus is saying and doing publicly. They're embarrassed. And uh, over time, however, as they discover who he is, what his identity is, what he's like, you know, Mary is so proud of her son and, and so tethered to him that, 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 that there she is, after the disciples have all fled, there she is, as, his, as her son is being crucified. And, and James becomes so convinced of, of, of the deity and, and goodness and glory of his own half-brother that he writes a whole letter about him that we have in the New Testament. Or there's Peter who, who has a season of, of, of dormancy. His faith isn't gone. He hasn't stopped believing. He hasn't stopped being a believer. The light of God is still in him, and yet he denies Jesus Christ three times because he's He's wrestling with cowardice and with fear and, and, and people-pleasing, the fear of man. And yet Peter, over time, develops courage and, and strength and even becomes a martyr for the sake of Christ. You know, all of us at our lowest point, the faith is still there. The Spirit is still in us. And maybe there's There's dormancy, maybe there's fragility, but we are never dead. Once the Spirit comes in and takes up resident, we will never die again. We will live forever, and eternal life starts right now. Growth, the the look of it, is is not the look of perfection. It's the look of a trajectory. Again, you make make an investment early in life, in, in your 20s, over time, it's going to ebb and flow. It's going to go backward and forward. Right now, we're going backward if you're invested in the stock market. But if you stay in, the experts say, stay in, don't pull out. Stay in. And especially in the low seasons, lean in. Don't pull out when tempted to do so because in the long term, it's going to be bigger than it was in the beginning. That's how fruit works. And when Paul says, keep in step with the Spirit, he's saying, Stay on the trajectory that the Holy Spirit has, has begun in your life, the trajectory toward Christ. Stay in. Stay invested during all seasons. Don't be discouraged when it look like, looks like there's no life because there's no growth, because there is life. It's a dormant season, but there will be a fruitful season coming as well. The other thing about a prospering faith is that it's proportional. Uh, one thing that is often missed on us is the word fruit here is singular. It's not the fruits of the Spirit. It's the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. It's like God is one and He's triune. He's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but He's one. The fruit is nine. Nine features, nine attributes of the fruit of the Spirit, but it's just one fruit. Like if an apple grows... All the parts of the apple grow proportionally with one another. The stem, the skin, the inside, and so on. Think of it this way. Let's say you had a lopsided swing set in, in the local park. And, uh, you know, the swing set's fine. It, it's all level and everything. But one of the swings on the swing set is leaning 
this way, just ever so slightly. And it, it's clear what needs to be done. There just needs to be one more link added to this side so that, so that the length of the chains on either side of the swing are even. And there are no strong galvanized links which, which make up the chains right now available. And so, so the person who fixes the swing says, well, I, I know, I've got an answer. I've got a paper clip that's the same length as all of these other links. And they take the paper clip and they, and, and they put the paper clip in and the, it, it looks even, right? Until somebody sits on it and it breaks. And the reason why it breaks is that that no matter how strong the chain looks with all of those thick links, a, a single chain is only as strong as its weakest link, and that is the truth about the fruit of the Spirit as well. Let me explain. So a person can appear to be cheerful, but they're also known to be consistently unreliable. That's a deficiency of the fruit of faithfulness, a lack of reliability. And so what looks like joy, the cheerfulness, actually might just mean that they are an Enneagram 7. You know, their temperament is, 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 is bubbly, but it, but it might not be the fruit of the Spirit, especially if there are facets of the Spirit that are deficient, like reliability or faithfulness. Or a person can, you can experience a person as being very agreeable, very agreeable. And yet they're worried, obsessed with worry all the time, which means there's a, there's a deficit of peace. The fruit of peace is the ability to look at tragedy, even things like tornadoes and viral pandemics, and not be gripped with fear. Because God is sovereign over all things. God is sovereign over all things. And, and, and God has sealed the future for his children. And so what might look like gentleness and the, the agreeable demeanor might actually just be the shadow side of a nine on the Enneagram who fears conflict. Or somebody might appear to be disciplined, but, but they're consistently irritable toward the people around them, especially people who are less disciplined than they are. There's this lack of patience that comes through, even though they're very disciplined. And so this discipline that looks like self-control might actually be self-righteousness manifesting and counterfeiting itself as a virtue because there's a lack of patience. See, it's possible, it's always been possible to counterfeit the fruit. You know, Pharaoh had magicians in Egypt that consistently mimicked the miracles that God was doing through Moses, and it was very convincing. Another person who was very convincing was Judas. Judas never knew the Lord. Judas never had the Holy Spirit. And yet, Judas was so convincing that after three years living with the disciples in Jesus, when Jesus announced, one of you is going to betray me, none of the disciples knew who it was going to be. You know, all these three years, Judas is preaching sermons, healing diseases, casting out G demons alongside Jesus and the other disciples, and people's lives are changing through his ministry, but his life and his heart are, are remaining untouched and unmoved. It's seasonal, it's proportional, and the prospering faith grows gradually. 
Have you ever seen a piece of fruit, an apple, a watermelon, an orange, a pear grow with your naked eye? Like, have you ever observed the growth actually happen? None of us has observed the growth happening because it's so slow, it's so gradual. The same is true about the trunk of a tree. Remember, the trunk of a tree, uh, every year, every calendar year, there's one more ring that, that, that develops inside the trunk of a tree, but we can't see that growth with the naked eye. We only observe it in retrospect. You know, 50 years later, the tree that we planted in the yard, if we're still living in the same place, is thicker. We see it in retrospect. Look at how it's grown. Who would have known? Who would have thought? Or a child. You, you, you can't observe your child growing, but, but, but you can in retrospect when on their birthday, if you have one of those little growth charts, you put them up against the wall and you say, oh, look, you've grown another two inches. Growth is observed and seen and confirmed in retrospect. How do we detect growth in our character? The same way. I've, I've told you before, my, my, my 25-year-old self looked back on my 16-year-old self and said, what a moron that kid was. And then my 35-year-old self looked back on my 25-year-old self and said, what a moron that young adult was. And now my 51-year-old self looks back on my 35-year-old self and says, what a moron. And then someday my 65-year-old self will look back on my 51-year-old self and say, what a moron, which means I am a moron right now. But over time, I've become less of one. Over time, I've become less and less of one because the fruit of the Spirit has grown slowly, seasonally, proportionally, and gradually. So that's how a prospering faith works. So, so, so let's look second at this. Why is our prospering inevitable? Because of a promise. Because of a promise. Jeremiah 29, 11, God says, he doesn't say, I, I think. He doesn't say, I hope. God, the creator of the universe, says, I know. I know the plans that I have for you. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. And that prosperity, that lack of harm, that hope and a future has so much more to do with the development of your character than it does the development of your bank account in your stock portfolio, has so much more to do with the development of the fruit of the Spirit than it has to do with the development of the fulfilling of your ambitions. And, and those things can come alongside it, but they're not necessary. What God promises is, I am going to change you. I am going to make you into the kind of person that's amazing. It's going to take time. You're going to doubt me along the way, but it's going to happen if the Holy Spirit is inside of you. See, there, there is this power inside every person. No exceptions. There's a power inside every person who has placed their trust in Jesus Christ. And that power is described in this way in Paul's second letter to the Corinthians. If anyone, that's, that's everyone, if anyone is in Christ, new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. You've got a whole new nature. In verse 22, Paul's not talking about the fruit of human effort. He's talking about the fruit of the Holy Spirit being born out of the lives and through the lives of God's people. You know what that means? 
That means the same power that breathed the galaxies into being. The same power that caused the Red Sea to split so that Moses and the entire nation of Israel could escape through watered walls from Pharaoh and Egypt. The same power that spoke into the tomb of Jesus Christ after Jesus had been dead for three days and said, rise, and he rose. That same power is in you and in me no less, no less than that same power resided in the tomb of Jesus Christ. You have that power, that latent power living inside of you. Okay, so so I ate an apple for breakfast and I decided to save, save a seed and tape it on this little white card just as an object lesson. Do you see it? You barely see it from where you are, right? This is probably the smallest thing in the room right now. Unless there's a coronavirus floating around somewhere. Too soon? Sorry. Sorry. Perfect love casts out fear. Too soon? This seed seems powerless. It seems benign. This little, tiny, harmless Seed. You know what the truth is about this little, tiny, harmless seed? Inside this little seed resides all the power to develop into a tree, many apples, an orchard, and then many orchards. Inside this one little seed actually resides the power to solve world hunger. Inside this one seed, every person on earth can be fed until the end of time. The question is, how does that power get drawn out? Here's how. It has to get buried into the ground. It has to be exposed to darkness and then to light and heat and then to moisture and then it cracks open and dies. And in the dying, it it rises into a fruit-bearing tree out of the ground. What happened to Jesus happens with a tree, will happen to you. Will happen to the whole universe, according to Romans 8. If that kind of power resides in a seed, which is not the image of God, an apple tree is not made in the image of God like a human is, what kind of power do you think resides in you with the Holy Spirit living in you? What do you think your potential is? Neuroscientists estimate that the storage capacity of a single human brain is two and a half million gigabytes. One brain. How many of those two and a half million gigabytes have been activated in, in, in the use of our memory? For me, not much. The potential's there. We have in similar terms and on a similar scale, an even greater scale, moral capacity, moral potential for love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You know, C.S. Lewis even goes so far as to say in The Weight of Glory, if you were able to see 
a believer in Christ in their final resurrected state in the new heaven and new earth, if you were able to see that person right now, you would be severely tempted to bow down on your knees and start worshiping. This change, though, is God's work, not ours. You know, Paul talks about crucifying the flesh, putting to death the flesh. Putting to death starts with a mindset. Starts with a being, you know, like Romans 12 says, being transformed by the renewing of our mind. The mindset that had taken hold in the Galatian church is this. God helps those who help themselves. So get going. The mindset that, that Paul is steering us back to is God helps those who can't help themselves. God helps those who can't help themselves. You know, there's this beautiful song I heard for the first time. Many of you already know this song by a, a band called We the Kingdom. It's called SOS. And you know, it, it's, it's this cry, you know, SOS, please somebody save me. I wish I could give you the whole lyrics right now. Maybe one day we'll do, do it up here, the whole song up here. But, but that's the cry of the person that God helps. Please, somebody save me. And in he comes. But he doesn't, doesn't just pull us out of the darkness and out of the weeds. He says, there's a power I'm going to put inside of you that... that so much grander than even what this little thing can do. But you have to recognize that God helps those who can't help themselves. That's your starting point. And Tim Keller said, trying, trying to produce fruit through human effort is like stapling a pear to a dead tree. It's just dumb. It's dumb. It's not going to work. And we've all had enough experience to know it's not going to work. What works, what transforms, is what we've explored already in this series, union with Christ. Jesus Christ is in us, and we are in Jesus Christ. In John 15, Jesus says, Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you. Unless you abide in me, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him or her, he or she, it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. And yet, as Paul says in Philippians chapter 4, from prison, I can do all things, all things, through Christ who gives me strength. And this change that can happen in individuals will also inevitably lead to change in the dynamics of how they do community. You know, verse 25, Paul goes on, if, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. You know, the Bible says... <laughs> And this is Paul again. I'm confident. Paul says to other believers, it's a communal statement, I'm confident that the God who began a good work in you is going to be faithful to, not you're going to finish the work, God who began the work in you is going to be faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. I heard somebody say once that, that falling in love with somebody biblically, falling in love with somebody with the eyes of, 
Christ and compelled by, by the awareness of union with Christ. Falling in love with someone biblically means looking at the caterpillar but, but envisioning the butterfly. Looking at a frail, fearfully and wonderfully made, tragic human being in front of me, and maybe it's the, the one in the mirror, and, and, and thinking like C.S. Lewis does in Weight of Glory. If, if I saw this person in their final state, the image of God, and all the power that, that God's going to release through that person to bear fruit into God's universe, I would be tempted to bow down and worship right now. What's the key, finally, that unlocks our prospering? It, it, it lies in this word seed. A, a seed is useless until, again, it goes into the dark, into the ground, experiences light and heat and moisture and so on. It, it, it takes being buried, it takes a flood, it takes heat, and then it cracks. And as it cracks open, life happens. But when you take this metaphor and apply it to growth and the fruit of the Spirit, there's another seed that we have to think about. And it's the seed that the very beginning of the Bible talked about. The seed, capital S, who crushed the serpent's head. Jesus Christ. And what the Christian is called to do is, is get into the ground with Jesus. To be buried with him. To get into the darkness and to expose ourselves to his light, to his heat, to his water, the water of his word. And how do you translate this? Crucifying the flesh, going into the ground, getting into the ground with Jesus means this. We talked about it last week. I'll repeat it. If you want to be like Jesus, stop trying to be like Jesus. Because if you're just trying to be like Jesus, you're trying to staple a pear to a dead tree, and it's dumb. It's not going to work. It's not going to change you. It's going to frustrate you, but it's not going to change you. If you want to be like Jesus... Get with Jesus. But to get with Jesus, you've got to get buried into the ground. Verse 24, it is not those who try hard to be a good Christian who bear fruit. But it's those who belong to Christ Jesus. Belonging to Christ Jesus, being near to him, drawing near to him just as he's come near to us and even taken up residence inside of us, putting our roots in the ground. That's what leads to fruit bearing. We talked about this. You know, how do we put our roots into the ground? We, we, again, last week and a whole sermon series a while ago, we gave you six roots that, 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 that you can direct into the ground, that, that, that you have been given, that you have been entrusted to by God. Six roots under three headings. Worship, be fully present with a local church every single Sunday be fully present with Jesus every single day, and then connect, take every opportunity to gather with whatever group of people it is that's headed on the same trajectory in the same direction toward Jesus as you are. Befriend and bring in those who don't have a church and who don't have Christ, that's the evangelism, root. And then serve, strengthen the church through serving and generous giving, enhance flourishing by serving your work, your world, 
and people in need. These are all the places, and there's a longer teaching from last week. These are all the places where Jesus promises to show up. If you want to meet me in the ground, if you you want to put your roots down and meet me in the ground, put these six roots down into the ground, and you'll be close to me. And you will experience what's always true, but you'll, you'll experience it. You want to experience the glory of his presence that we sung about? Get close to him. To stir up reminders of your belonging, and that's where the fruit comes. And the experience of of fruit bearing in in, in the life of of a believer is wonderful because it it calls us to exert less, but to expect more. When a tree bears fruit, the fruit is a byproduct. You you never see a tree just working really hard to, to bear fruit. It just happens. Where the tree is doing its work is it's pressing its root into, roots into the ground. That's where the work happens. And then the byproduct is fruit coming off of the branches to be enjoyed by the world around it. You know, after Paul lists all the different facets of the fruit, he says, against such things, against love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, against such things there is no law. What's he saying there? I think he's hearkening back to the new covenant teaching from Jeremiah. When Jeremiah said, my people, there's going to come a day where I'm going to write my law in their hearts. Their nature is going to change. They're not going to even need the law anymore because the law is is going to be so beautiful, so second nature beautiful to them that they they won't need to be told anymore what to think, how to feel, what to do because Walking with Christ will become a natural overflow of roots that have been pressed hard into the ground. You know, Russ Ramsey, uh, the pastor of our Cool Springs con- congregation, many of you know that Russ and Lisa adopted uh, a young boy from China named Theo. And Theo had no English background, English-speaking background. And uh, one of the things Russ said recently was, Theo is picking up English at Warp speed. How is that happening? It's because he is in the environment where the language of English is spoken all the time. And, 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 and what he had to work hard to understand at the beginning is, is now becoming his first language. You put yourself in the environment of the language of God The language of God, the mission of God, the fruit of God's Spirit, the truth and beauty of God are going to become second nature. You won't even need the law to be told to you anymore. One of my favorite wedding toasts at a a rehearsal dinner was uh, when the best man toasted his brother and and soon-to-be wife. The best man was the brother of the the groom, and and here was his toast. To his brother, I never liked you. We both know this. I never liked you. But all of that changed when you started spending time with her. Belonging changed everything. It even changed you. But what if it's, I never liked you? What if it's, I never liked me? I look really good, you know, with my trendy untucked shirt and my sleek fancy athletic pants, 
in my blundstone boots. I look really fancy on the outside. Maybe you do too, but your heart just like mine, some days you think, man, what a mess. S-O-S, somebody save me from me. The answer, Scottish minister Robert Murray McShane gave it beautifully. For every one look at you that you take at yourself, take 10 looks at Jesus. For every one look you take at yourself, take 10 looks at Jesus. And what will you see when you look at Jesus? Here it is, 2 Corinthians 3.18, and this is our invitation to the Lord's table. We all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image. This comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Thanks be to God. About the Lord's Supper, there's fear all over the world right now about a tiny microscopic virus that, um, that will create fatigue for some, weakness, sickness, and for a rare but very important few, death. We're all terrified of, of the power of what that little microscopic thing can do. What you're about to take into your body right now in the Lord's Supper, in the bread and the cup, the body and the blood of Christ is something that's bigger than the universe. With a power that will not make you weaker but stronger, a power that will not make you sick but make you whole, a power that doesn't risk your life but that saves your life, the body and the blood of Christ. Uh, Before we introduce communion, uh, I want to just let you know, if you didn't get the email, no human hands have touched this bread. Uh, Nobody's breathed on it. Nobody's sneezed on it. It's virus-free. It's completely safe. We're stacking the, the cups on top of each other to protect the bread, and, 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 and the, the juice and the wine haven't been, been touched either. Uh, and so you can come without fear, so you can take in this power that's greater than, than the universe as a follower of Christ. But before we do this, can we please stand, and we will profess our faith together, and we will Uh, Do that by reminding ourselves and each other of our belonging. What is your only comfort in life and in death? That I am not my own, but belong, body and soul, in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from all the power of the devil. He also preserves me in such a way that without the will of my heavenly Father, Not a hair can fall from my head. Indeed, all things must work together for my salvation. Therefore, by his Holy Spirit, he also assures me of eternal life and makes me heartily willing and ready from now on to live for him. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for these elements. Uh, Thank you for what they speak to us. Thank you for what the bread and the cup preach to us, the body and the blood of Christ. The greatest power in the universe already residing in us, Christ in us, the hope of glory, Christ in us, the promise of of, of health and life and flourishing and and greatness uh, as the image of God, all because of you. Not because you help those who help themselves, but precisely because you help those who can't help themselves. And we thank you, Lord, for this reality. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.